we'll, we'll, we'll get talk about this. Okay. okay. Um, so are we ready? Well, this is uh, this is Candace Stewart. Welcome to my podcast, Trade Secrets. And today I have one of my favorite people. I know I always say that, but it's really true. One of my favorite people, Robert Carranza, who I've known for a long time. And uh, he's an incredible, you know, producer, mixer. He does all kinds of stuff, okay? He's a designer. He's amazing. Anyway, uh, hey, Robert, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good to be had. Um, <laughs> so I start out, it's not really scripted, and I start out uh, kind of just like, it's the James Lipton approach, you know, uh, from the actor's studio, only we're not going to cry. <laughs> a lot of people cry. Um, where were you born? Well, first of all, let me say a couple things about okay. you. Okay, okay. Because I think it's important to be okay. said. Well, thank you. I don't think there's been anybody in this career. I mean, there's a few of you, a few yeah, ladies. Paula, who I love, yeah. All those, you know, who have made careers out of most people and have never apologized, uh, or actually, you know, not apologized, but thank you for it. And thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Because all I hear is people tell me great things that you've said about me and you know, all that kind of stuff. It's so easy. You're cool. It's, it's, uh, you've brought more careers to many people. Well, thank you for saying yeah. so. And yeah. I love your passion for it. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Well, and, and back at you, I think uh, I was joking with someone the other day, and I said, basically, my, my method is just to train my future clients. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> and I remember one time Rose Mann, who is the grand dame of what I do, she said to me, she said, yeah, you know, it's really important when your alum come back that you treat them right and that you not treat them like it. And I can't promise that that always happens because yeah. sometimes you'll give them somebody a little green. But uh, I try to do that and try to make sure that the alumni, like and a lot of people that I've fired, <laughs> come back and work with me all there the time. Go. But uh, well, thank you, thank yeah, you yeah. so much for I saying that. I just thought that. it had to be said. Oh, Anyhow, thank you. so I was born in Montebello, California. Oh, okay. I'm one of the few born and raised in Los Angeles. I was actually born in Fontana. Oh, there you go. Go ahead. And uh, you know, just kind of uh, local boy in town. And what's your uh, what's your mom and dad do? Uh, Dad left early, so don't really know what he ended up being. Aww. But uh, you know, I'm sure he'd be proud. Yeah, my mom was a school teacher. Dude, single mom school teacher. Single mom. How, school how teacher. many siblings? Five. Holy crap! Wait, so the, you're one of six or one of five? One of five. Wow. Yeah. So and I'm, where do you fall in that? I was I was a baby. Oh, okay. Yeah, me yeah. too. So mom was gone a lot. Yeah. And so music and band and all that stuff was the caretaker right not because mom didn't want to be there but it's like she's by, working she's working by the time she got home after school i was already home yeah going to play music yeah and you know all that kind of What's jazz. That, what instruments do you play i was well i played trumpet when i started and then i started playing drums after that oh really i never knew yeah you and then uh was drumming for a while and then trumpet was cool but it wasn't as cool as the drums with, uh, for yeah. chicks <laughs> Agreed. I'm sorry, I can't no, say no, that. Now. You can say anything you want. This is a this is a free zone. No, I'm joking. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It's like I'm I'm sorry if I offend anyone. <laughs> anyhow, <laughs> we'll be saying that a lot. Yeah. So uh, you know that was it. It was just a, God. I was in a band when I was 11. Wow, cool. And I, if what's the name of your first band? We were called Lethargic. <laughs> Was the music really we were slow? Thrash, we were like, at that time, like the same period of like Megadeth. And, oh, right. And, like a like thrash Metallica. metal band. Yeah. Like Metallica was getting their going. Armored Saint was another band that was local. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're talking, this is the early 80s, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm not older than you, so I was already I 30 know. by then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
But like there was a place called Middle Earth in Downey where James ah, Hatfield is from. Right. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot he's, he's local too. Local in da- Norwalk. And uh, we used to go there on the weekends. And for we used to for see whatever those reason, guys. Norwalk is the place where everyone, where you have to go file all your legal papers. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that it? Where yeah, like everything just, you have a, to get is Norwalk. Yeah. So I live in, I live in Whittier now. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Which is not that far from there anymore. But gotcha. Um, and uh, it was just funny to walk in and like, you know, those guys were like, what's your band's name? And we're like, well, what's your band's name? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Lars was like, we're called Metallica. And we're like, Metal Liquor? He's still not very tall. Yeah, <laughs> Metal Liquor. I like it. I think that's even a better name. And he was like, well, what's your band name? We're Lethargic. And he was just like, oh, that's funny. Lethargic. Duh. Speed well, I, Metal. I, so, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, 11, we get to the the question of like how what kind of clubs could you play in at 11 well that was the, the, the thing we were playing clubs but we were doing backyard parties more right yeah backyard parties were the shit back in the day dude still let's go have one five bucks you <laughs> yeah. know you should have one next week yeah. i'll come <laughs> west covina you know just the local area you're playing backyard parties it was fun and we did a couple of shows at the whiskey uh we couldn't go on stage until we we could, literally had to wait outside right right on the side door right and then you would go in you know, and then you were allowed to be on the troubadour with the same thing. We have right. to wait. They wouldn't let us pull it. They, you know. Well, and they're all ages clubs, at least, you know, it's technically. Technically. So, so that doesn't that doesn't surprise me that that would happen. How uh, how far did Lethargic get? We got pretty far. <laughs> wow. By the time I, well, we took it real serious. Well, like, I was 12. Yeah. And we took it real serious. Dude, serious. And then um, we kind of signed a record deal with, a label oh is this your first experience with the record company yeah yeah and uh <laughs> and this is what led me to be where, where yeah, I yeah am be the other side of the glass you know watching these assholes run this business yeah no kidding dude no kidding i am i am not ashamed to say and i know there are those of you out there that are a&r people that have done wonderful things yes the, the lenny warnickers and people in this world who've shaped our culture and the soundtrack Herb of Albert, our lives Jerry Moss. absolutely we just lost Moss. but people that knew how to make a record and i think that's what's so frustrating for people like us in the business now in many areas which is that the people that we're working with don't know anything about what we do yeah. and how record gets made you know and ultimately record companies are banks but serve a very valuable purpose. I mean... Terrible interest rates. Terrible 85% interest <laughs> rate, right? But where are you going to get that kind of distribution and promotion yeah. if you pr- prior to this They're the necessary. Internet. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it, look at... I would say for touring and video in particular. Yeah, I've dealt with a lot of record labels. I've uh, been very successful with some yes. of them. Uh, so I have no grimes about it. The only part I have is um, when you Well, get the artist s- gets screwed. Well, <laughs> the balance of um, it's very rare you walk into a room and the art, the A and R person or anyone in the in the business understands what it is to be on the road, understands Dude, what it is to make a record. Really, I mean, you have your whole life to write your first record. Exactly. I I, brought, I mentioned that a couple times. Yeah. Like it's the you know the the freshman effort is an album that they've lived with for a long time. I have many favorite bands. Uh, and then the sophomore effort can like make or break you because you've got a, you know, you got to write it in three months, then you got to promote it. And it's, you know, yeah, that's, that's sort of, I would say the turn in the road where the, where a really good band can, can go off rails, yeah. Yeah. you know? I mean, you got all this pressure to follow up your sophomore record. Exactly. And, and again, you have your whole life to write it yeah. and then you got to do it in a couple months. You're like, you know. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely some talented cats, and we, we 
give them their credit for sure who recognize an artist and and Tom Petty one time I was talking to Tom Petty and he was saying you know I can't imagine becoming an artist today God, yeah. God rest in peace Tom Petty but he yeah. was saying because he goes someone actually cared enough about us to develop us yeah. and someone took the time to make us rehearse and let us do these smaller tours, you know, slung us in the van. Yeah. By the way, why is every, everybody's in a van? Yeah. <laughs> uh, he said, but but artists today, you know, they don't really get that kind of development. I, sometimes I see it and I'm excited to see it yeah. when I see someone who believes yeah. in an artist. And you and I have both seen throughout our careers where it's the the three major labels and then the imprints and then the imprints get huge and then they get swallowed back up into a major but it's really just i mean we're we're warner sony emi bmg am i missing somebody no there's like four right yeah I mean, yeah, all, yeah yeah and the imprints they're in they're all closets in universal now like some cubicles. I mean, there's really dude, no labels anymore. Dude, you know? yeah, don't get me started. I, yeah. I, I had dinner last night with Mark Needham, who I adore, who you know, who's an incredible yeah. mixer producer. But we were at dinner and Art Kelm walked in, mm -hmm. who's the chief engineer at Capitol. And yeah. we, uh, yeah, we all started sort of just bitching. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you know what? It's afforded us our livelihood yeah. and afforded us our careers. And I'm super, super grateful. I'm glad I'm kind of on the other side of the sure. arc as it were Me too. i wouldn't want to be starting now i don't think yeah the development side of it's weird it's like i always uh, a friend of mine has this great line in a song that says uh on this vine trying to find into the bottle and then into your mind oh i love you know that. and it's like that's development you yeah. let something grow you 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 see it and um and then you kind of like give it things so for, for our band when we were young yeah someone did that for us yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. How cool is that? And then we just went off the rails. You know, it was just like we had problems ourselves. Well, you got your school. You got your mom and dad going, yeah. what the heck are you doing? You're out playing till one in the morning and you're yeah. 12. Yeah. No, well, the <laughs> other thing was like, this is the 80s. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Hello. So There were up... no drugs around in the 80s. <laughs> there were no drugs and drugs totally only went to people over 21. <laughs> so... For us, being like a thrash metal band. Yeah, your band, kids might hear this. Yeah, so let's... it's all good. They know the stories already <laughs> too many times. But, you know, you'd walk up the Sunset Strip oh, from yeah. the Whiskey to the Roxy oh, to the yeah. Zaris and, you know, and do that whole thing. And You're like, Mom, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm going to make it to class. It's everything's going to be okay. I used to leave Friday night and <laughs> yeah. come home Sunday night. Oh, yeah. You know, and yeah. it was like my mom never worried about me because I, I never drank. I never yeah, did drugs. Yeah, you were kind of. I But I took care of everybody else. Which becomes a burden in and of itself. Yeah. So we had our moment in the sun, and it was the first time we walked into a studio. Oh, where did you where did you go? Some shitty fucking place <laughs> in downtown. And I don't even know what that would have been in the eighties. Oh man, to find it, out. it was it was like uh, the old Paps Brewery off the Five. And by the way, those of you who think downtown LA is an oasis now, <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so we went into the studio, and they had like an MCI desk. Okay. And the guy was smoke, was smoking like a chain, you know. Oh, yeah. And we set up and we started playing. And I was just like, oh. And at this point, I gone, uh, the drummer from Armored Saint actually did our demos. Oh, cool. And he turned me on to the four track. Was it a Tascam? Tascam, yeah. one. Yeah, that was the first thing I ever worked on. And then I ended up using it as a preamp for my stereo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he kind of got that 
ingrained in me a little bit when we did the demos at his house. And then we actually saved our money and went to a studio. And I was like, what I realized then was that I was more interested in what was happening in the control room than I was in the studio. Very cool. And it kind of fucked me up. Well, it would have messed your band up. <laughs> that was having its problems anyways. But it yeah. was just, it was that moment of like, oh, uh, I, I asked a million questions. I of know course. I annoyed the shit out of the well, guy. Well, they didn't really have schools then. I mean, I think they had Soundmaster and uh, Record, give a shout LA out to the LA Recording school. Workshop. Yeah, LA Recording like that, Workshop. You know. They had... Uh, the Dick Grove School of Music, which is more, I taught there actually, oh, which wow. is more of a music school. But um, yeah, it was learn on the fly. Yeah. It really, you yeah. know, it still kind of is. I mean, even if you come out of a school. I mean, my biggest, well, my biggest thing was like, I kind of was like, okay, well, yeah, maybe I got to go to school for this. Right. And I think this is like, oh God, this is like 87 or something like oh, that. Oh man, I was deep in it by then. And, um, I went to one class. At Travis? No, at oh. UCLA. Oh, okay. It was a UCLA extension. Okay. We do their classes all the time. Bruce here. Sweeting was there. God, amazing. Oh, what a girl. How cool is that? So I walked up to him after the class and I said, Bruce, pleasure. I mean, you got to think about where the, what time oh, this dude, is. dude. At was, that time, he right? He was a fucking man. Like, dude, you know, he, it was like. Yeah. God no, rest in peace. Still the man. Yeah. No bigger. No one bigger, of the men. No bigger than that. <laughs> And I go, how do you really get into this business? And he was like, with this big baritone voice, yeah. good, not through this. Yeah. And, and he was, I was like, really? Get a job at a studio. He was like, you're not going to learn. You got to learn on the job. And I was like, no school is going to teach you how to deal with people. Yeah, And true. I was, the next day I quit school. Yep. I made a shitty resume and went everywhere looking for a job. Well, who hired you? Well, <laughs> two people. Okay. Uh, Cherokee. Okay, great. Oh, well, good and bad. Good and bad. Yeah. We, we all know the stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I lasted there three months. Okay. You know, it's kind of the cutoff for most people there. Yeah. And then uh, Studio 56, first minute. Oh, yeah, cool. You know, and then I just realized- Was Dave Debeau there? Would he have been at 56? Oh, I can't remember. God, I don't remember either. Yeah. Um, I remember it, it was trial by fire. And oh, they yeah. they realized I didn't know anything. I wonder if Kirschenbaum owned it, it was, then. David Kirschenbaum that's right. owned it. That right. That was right. It was Kirshenbaum. And it was right next to the- uh, By the Adobe. Yeah. Adobe Cafe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, like uh, Lucy's. Yeah, yeah. Lucy's That's on Melrose. A, yeah, yeah, Melrose, yeah. Yeah. By the so, Nicodell. <laughs> Both of which are not there now. Yeah, yeah. No, Lucy's is there for the Nicodell. Yeah. So, By Paramount. Yeah. So basically just kind of jumped in, you know, and yeah. didn't know anything. And uh, the David Brown, I don't remember David, you remember Tech David Brown? Yeah. David Brown was like, you can't work in the studio unless you know how to wire. Yeah, you got to solder. You got to solder. And he kind of like, you know, taught me a little bit here, the tech side of things, which is, again, the training was different back then. So crucial, though. Yeah. You know, you got to know what's going on. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, how, how things work a little bit. Yeah. And and then after that, I just started like... Signal flow just made sense to you? Yeah, it did. You know, there's a, a statement that I've made a couple of times. Um, a lot of people that I've worked with in my life, they... You know, their tenacity wins out and the sheer doing working at a studio day in and day out and learning. Some people learn slower than others. And then there's other people that just kind of like come out of the womb having a natural artistic talent for it. And I always say that Jerry Finn was one of those people. Yeah. Jerry was uh, when I worked at Grove, he would be like, you know, reading manuals for gear he'd never seen. Yeah. And I'd be like, why are you reading that manual now? And he goes, so that when I get my hands on this HC 1000 yeah. harmonizer, I'm going to know how to use it. And I would say honestly that you're one of those people too because I've, I've 
watched you your whole career, and it's definitely as natural to you as breathing, I would say. Okay, that's going to make me have some kind of <laughs> attack. <laughs> anyway, um, but uh, the light was strobing. But, uh, but yeah, I think, and, you know, the journeyman people, no less talented, but a different kind of talent. Yeah. And so for you, it's just instinctive. And your love of music, I think, shines through everything you touch. Yeah. I'm Thank a huge you. fan, by the oh, way, thanks. of your work. Um, so, yeah, that's it. I mean, you, you, you do the Cherokee trial by fire. Oh, yeah. You know, and the Robs, amazing guys. One thing to mention about the Robs was they had a band of their own when they were young, and then they became studio owners, and Cherokee was an incredible studio in uh, West Hollywood. First Trident, first A-Range I worked on. First A-Range, and I was just about to say that the engineers at Trident Studios in London, my understanding, and I should talk to, to Bruce Robert about this, was that all of the Trident A-Ranges that were shipped to the United States were built for them and built for Cherokee. Yeah. Uh, I have it. one here yeah, yeah. that was at Cherokee. I was just on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were. That's right. You worked this weekend. I forgot. <laughs> Yay. Um, but special. Yeah. I mean, special. And give them kudos for recognizing cool electronics yeah. and kind of introducing us to that. You know what I mean? And they, they were innovators in a lot of ways. And in a weird way, yeah. the reason why I wanted to work at Cherokee, because they had a lot of British engineers working there yes. at the time. Yeah. And I was, because I'm Dude, a, I'm British Invasion girl. Uh, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm a metalhead. Yeah. You know, it's like, so Iron Maiden, all that oh, shit wow, was my okay. stuff. Saxon, you know. Saxon. And <laughs> I don't I even look, know who Saxon is. No, it's a band from the 80s. <laughs> oh, okay. And I would stare at the record cover right and then look at the back cover and it would be produced by tom allen or right you know gus dungeon or you know yeah. hugh, hugh pageum or hugh pageum just these guys were like oh, t shit. chad blake <laughs> yeah it was it was crazy to go because i i loved european music i loved yeah. the way it sound and i could hear the difference you know back then you heard the difference between london la and new york yes I would agree. I think it was interesting. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had the chance to watch it, but you would dig it. There's a DVD called The Language of Music, and it's about Tom hmm. Dowd. Oh. And Tom Dowd's sort of the famous, famous, you know, we all stand on the shoulders of giants. And uh, Tom is certainly one of them, rest in peace. But he said that he went to Abbey Road and he was frustrated because they were still using like three and four track machines. Yeah. And we were using eight tracks, eight tracks here. Yeah. He was like, come on, dudes, get, 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 <laughs> get, get it together. together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it was it was interesting because I wanted to I you know I kept on hearing about a Trident console I had mm. heard of that and but and I also heard about a Neve but yeah you know I mean you listen to also British all the console manufacturers are British just out and API don't be affronted by that yeah. we love APIs yeah, of course. and any other American made product we support you <laughs> but in my career it's Neve SSL Trident you know what's crazy I was in Rockfield. In, oh, okay. In, in Maumont, like just outside of Wales. Um, yeah, wow. Doing supergrass. You know, I'm Welsh. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. My really? ancestors, all four of my grandparents are from Swansea. And I've never Ro been there. And uh, uh, Kingsley, the owner of Rockfield. Yeah. Uh, we, I was doing supergrass. We were there for a few weeks. Um, and he, I was looking at the, I was looking at the rack and I was like, what the fuck are those? Was it all American stuff? No, no, no. It was this lime green Neves oh. that were like, you know. The, the eight rack. Oh uh -huh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I've never seen these. Right? And they weren't like thirty-one one hundred five. They something? were some weird number. Oh, I've never interesting. Seen them. They were a tube version oh, of cool. Neves. Oh, how cool is that? It was so. But probably. It was from a, pro a console. prototype. 
Oh, really? That Rupert made. Well, you know, the, we're sitting in Studio 2 at East West, of which I'm very blessed to be the manager of East West. I'm so lucky. But we're sitting in Studio 2, and the console in Studio 2 is an older Neve. And when Rupert was still alive, he came by, and he autographed the console in Studio 2 and Studio yeah. 1 for me. And he told me, and I don't know if this is true or not, but he told me that the console here, he built it in a church in Sussex. Wow. Wow. And, and I've been to Sussex, and I was like, really? That's crazy. Yeah. But what a, what an innovator. It was weird, because then... Lime green, curious. Ten years later? Yeah. I saw him. I, I don't even remember. Oh, I you saw there. Rupert? I think maybe it was at an AES convention yeah, or something. And I was like, I got a question for you. Oh. And and um, he was like, yes, and, and you know, very proper. Yeah, yeah, he's know. so proper. I love it. And him. he was like, I saw these lying... He was stop. <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> At Rockfield, he was like, yeah. He goes, I've asked Kingsley to trash those things. Those are a piece of shit. Oh, he no. He said it exactly. He goes, I oh, hate no. those things. And it was just funny how much he was like. Dude, he's so honest. He was like. He was so honest. There's so much distortion, like blah, blah, blah. And I was like, that sounds great. But and it was he, probably perfect for what you were doing with Supergrass. Yeah. It was just so funny, though. It was just like Dude, he just hated that. You know, one of the things that one of the reasons that I wanted to do this podcast to begin with was. You know, there's so many of the people that we know and love, and I wanted to sort of have something to remember and to, yeah. to capture all these these wonderful people. But he's one of them. I mean, man, I wish I could have yeah. sat him down. And I had the great fortune of being around him quite a few times, and his lovely wife, amazing. But, uh, yeah, and he left us, I think, last year. He was 93. Something. We shall be so lucky. Oh, my God, right? Doing what you love? Yeah. Um, so you get the job. Now, were you Cherokee, and then 56 was longer? No. Okay. No, at 56, they realized I was super green. Oh. So I just ended up being a runner. Okay. You know, well, which is fine. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, even at even at Cherokee, I was running. Mm -hmm. But again, everyone at Cherokee never really lasted too long. Right. You know, they had such a high turnaround. Yeah. And then I went to Lionshare. Oh, cool. You know, I was at Lionshare for a little bit, but again, a little bit. That's That's kind of the thing that happened for me. That was, I think. That's kind of good, though. Different rooms, different gear. Well, I started assisting as like a relief assistant. I don't know if you know. Did this I ever or... hire you? Come no, on. No, I but I've been. To, I was at. I went to Red Zone a yeah, couple yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. I think it was the nineties at that. Okay, point. gotcha. Um, you know, our friend Trent. You know, was working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know? I see. I saw Trent on Saturday. Yeah, and um, I just started working around. So when they would burn their assistants out. They were like, you were like the first freelance assistant. They were like, you should call this guy Robert because he'll come in and he knows a lot of rooms. So, uh, dude, what a great thing! Uh, Alan Morphew from uh, uh, Tom from Track uh, Track Record. Track Record. Yeah, Tom Murphy. Uh, uh, Tom Murphy. Yeah. Um, uh, Melanie from Stag Street. Yeah. You know, God bless uh, her. Still Stag Street. Still, still there. Going. I just went there last week. It looked great. Yeah. Yeah. Trent, tr our friend, Trent's, is running it. Yeah. Yeah. Overseeing. Looking yeah. Good. And then I even was at. Uh, I even went to. Uh, Sound City. Oh yeah, yeah. And then oh, did yeah. a, did a couple of days there, but I, you know they they were fine. And it was just this thing. I and and uh, what's the play? Martin Sound? Oh, Al Martin Sound. So Martin Sound was Alhambra, right? Alhambra. Now, and this is this is interesting because did the Flying Fader automation get built there? Yeah, they built it there. Because uh, because I remember the very first time that I had to do that, I was like, wait, I have to go where? I have to drive to Alhambra. <laughs> but yeah, God bless them. Yeah. And then George Massenburg had his shop next to Stag Street. Oh, very. Oh, that's cool. And he was literally next door. Oh, I got to get George on here. And yeah. 
And, uh, you know, so he would come over and, sh- and try things in the studio there. Those of you listening, if you don't know who this is, if you're a layperson, George Massenberg, probably not only an incredible engineer and producer, but what a designer. And one of my favorite things about George is he doesn't suffer fools well. Yeah. And he is so, 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 so smart, but at the same time, very gracious. Yeah. He's like half Canadian, half Southern. So I always tease him because I'm Southern. He's from, uh, I think it's his... I don't know if it's his mom or his dad is from Macon, Georgia. And because I'm from South Carolina, we always razz each other. But, uh, dude, what a genius. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Teaching at McGill, I think, still. Oh, really? Yeah. In in Toronto, I believe. I mean, he's, you know. Dude, GML. George Massenberg Labs. The Complex. Dude, the Complex. Amazing. So I left Red Zone and went to work at Soundcastle. And the manager there had been Dave DeVore. And then Dave DeVore left and went to the Complex. Yeah. But amazing studios. So uh, Mad Hatter? Yeah, Mad Hatter. You know. Oh yeah, Mad Hatter. Chick Korea's studio yeah. over over in Silver Lake, That's, right by Soundcastle. It's weird. I made the rounds and got to work on so many different. See, I'm a fan of music. I don't care what it is. If it's good music, it's good music. You know, I think that's the uniting force through all of us. Yeah. I, I would say that I, you know, uh, worked a lot. Not worked a lot, but you know, managed a lot of studios where Rick Rubin was a client, and he would ultimately say that that's really that he's just the ultimate. Fan. Yeah, I mean, I got this weird client list of people who are like from jack johnson to like marilyn manson yeah it's yeah you're diverse crazy and i you know i love it i love it all i love the. you haven't been typecast and that's kind of refreshing yeah and i think you know i even loved i mean i've you know when i was at mad hatter it was uh larry Jazz? larry ma um, oh yeah so good one of my um one of my uh mentors was Dude. bernie bernie kirsch Oh, amazing. Who did all of Chicks, Riga, Chicks Records, yeah. um, the GRP stuff with yeah. like Gambali and all those we guys. We didn't know about uh, Scientology then, or we didn't well, really yeah. care. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was there, though. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. That, it's the reason why I left. Yeah, yeah. You no, know? it's uh, And we support freedom of religion for sure. all peoples. All free. But yeah, we don't also want anything shoved Love down our gods. throat. Love yeah. your gods. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But don't want anything shoved down our throat that doesn't have anything to do with music. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know what happened. To, I don't know if I think Matt Hatter's physically still there. Yeah, it is. It's, the church but, owns it now. Oh, the church yeah. actually owns their it. whole that media empire. But Ooh, wow. So I, I just kind of went around. You know, I just dude. I that, the, I'm telling you, you might be one of the first sort of freelance assistants because it wasn't. You know, it wasn't really a thing. Like you went to a studio, you did your time until you wanted to shoot yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you had a boss like me who sort of shoved you out of the nest and yeah. said, oh, you're ready to first now. Yeah. You know, and I still do that. I still do that all the time. I'm like, look, you've been assisting for seven years. <laughs> you need, you know, and I get them firsting work and stuff like that. But the tra- trajectory, though the trajectory is the same, it's different. The opportunity is different because there's less commercial studios. Now, the other positive opportunity, if you're talented, what you couldn't do when we started is you can start your own business and have your own studio in your house, which yeah. you couldn't do that when we started because, you know, where were you going to put a large format console in your bedroom? Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think we would both agree that artist empowerment's a good thing. Allowing mediocrity to get on the airwaves is a bad thing. Yeah. Not learning your chops, not learning what to do. I think it's there's good and bad that's come out of that. Yeah. Because a lot of artists can now feel the freedom and do their own demo and do their do their thing. Yeah, I call feel, it artist empowerment. And, and feel like <laughs> and feel like they're contributing more than just like listening to someone do tell them what to do. Yeah, and the social media thing also good and bad, but you know, if you build your own fan base, yeah. you know, it's sort of we, I, I, I'm going to say something that's probably politically incorrect, but I always thought Paola was an incredibly 
great thing because uh, a, a manager, an artist manager, or an A and R guy could go to a, a radio station sure. and say, "Here, play this, play this Elvis Presley record." Yeah. You know what I mean? And and then you would get the response from the listening audience, which is basically the same today as yeah. social media. You'd get the response from the listening audience, and that that fan base would then propel that artist yeah. and the request for the song. So in that sense. That's kind of what social media has sure. done. I mean, you know? before that, it was called independent record promoters. Yes. After, after the payola scandal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Independent promoters. And then it went to social media. Yeah. It's just an evolution of everything. Yeah, you it's know? an evolution. But getting getting music out, I think the point you're making is getting music out there in front of people yeah. and being able to do that without, you know, a suit who doesn't, sorry, suits, without a suit who doesn't, you know, understand you or what you're going yeah. for. So I think that's a good thing. Um, I mean, one of my biggest clients is Jack Johnson. We love him so much. And when he went to get a record deal the first time, everyone turned him down. Yeah. People were like, hey, man, we don't need another Bob Marley. Mm. You know? And I won't say who said that. That's brutal. And that person who said that actually regrets it now. Well, that's a short-sighted thing. Well, it's like, that's like the guy that turned... Wasn't there the guy that turned down the Beatles when you watch the movie about the Beatles and they yeah. played the cavern yeah. come? The guy goes, oh, they're never going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> and and so what had happened with Jack was that he had to do it on his own. I, and, I don't know if I really knew that. And and the first label was a small label called Everloving. Okay. My friend J, uh, 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 J.P. Pugnier and... Um, Andy Factor, who used to be Oh, at, I remember Andy Factor. Andy used to be at Virgin. Yeah. And they started their own small label. And they Jack they signed Jack and they did his first record. And it blew up. And think about think about the risk that, that would actually mean from from their standpoint of opening a label, because it takes a lot of money to make a record. Even on the even on a budget sense, you know, if if I give you favors or the producer does a spec deal or whatever, yeah. it still costs money and time. Everybody's money and time. Yeah. And, you know, God bless them. And so the independence of putting the mu music out and doing it on your own is great. The problem that happens is no one knows how to take it to the finish line. Yeah. Because they spend so much time just fiddling around and fiddling around. Oh, see, that's the other bad thing. Yeah. Artists should, I'm going to say this and people are going to yell at me. Artists should not self-produce. Okay. Because you will keep redoing, rehashing. I even tell my husband this. He's a great guitar player. Mm. Um, but you'll just keep rehashing and redo it. Someone need again, Tom Petty said, look, I need a producer. I'm the leader of the band and people need to, you know, people are going to listen to what I say as the leader of the band, but I need someone who's going to say it's done. Yeah. You know, and I, that Rick Rubin was that for him amongst others, you know, like, no, that's the take. Yeah. That's the one we're yeah. keeping because you get, you can't let go of your baby. You know what I mean? You keep wanting to change yeah. the change the baby. I work with this band out in New York. They're like progressive, you know. Uh, I guess there would be a jam band or some stuff, but they're more than that. You know? Right. And, you know, I've done a, about 10 years with them. They've done a bunch of records. What's the name the of talk. it? Talk. Oh, Talk? Yeah, T-A-U-K. Okay. And um, over the time of them not knowing, like the first time I worked with them, we were actually across the street at the other at building. United, yeah. yeah. And uh, the first time they came and did a record there, was, and as the years have gone by, they've become great producers on their own. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying that can't happen. Yeah, but the funny part is they still can't get it to the finish line. Yeah. And nothing on them. I think they're all great. They're all talented. But I watched the progression of it happen. Yeah. Because they were pretty young. Yeah. You know, when we first started, they were like in their mid twenties, and now they're in their mid thirties. Yeah. And, um, you know. 
You gotta hire someone to tell you well, stop. The, th- the thing is, those those guys are <laughs> those guys come in and they send me stuff that sounds great. I'm like, well, where did you record this? Because I did this at the studio, you know. Nice. They understand the value of that. Yeah, God bless. Yeah, which is great. Yeah. And so the stuff they send me, I'm like, this is great. But then when it comes time to actually doing the record, yeah, it's like we get in a room and we do it, and they're like, they see the difference. Yeah. They understand like there's a third person in there who comes in with a different objective than we have. Yeah. Because a keyboard player is like, my shit's great. Well, and, and, and we both know this is what happens. If the, if the, the, if the leader of the band's a singer, then the vocal's always too loud and the well, mix they're, an they're doing They're an instrumental thing. band. Oh, cool. So, okay, well, take that out. Yeah, well, they just started, they started collaborating with different singers. Right. But, you know, it was just that thing where it's like, they all are very strong, talented, educated musicians, Everything they learned, they all went to like, you know, prestige universities for music. And I said, everything you fucking learned there, forget. Yeah. Forget. Yeah. Know the rules, but don't. This isn't about you all being soloists. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And they really learned how to like groove and be a band. Be cohesive as a band. Yeah. I tell it to bands all the time. Like, you know, uh, I have this crazy story of some guy who hired me to come and see his, his son's band and, you know, send a private jet to pick you up. And, and, uh, phantom picks you up in the you know the g5 yeah and then takes me to the to the house there's a staff. Oh, oh a phantom rolls royce sorry yeah yeah Fa- the, the 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 staff is waiting outside oh nice and they're terrible oh god and i was like they're they're just a cover band they're young they're 18 years old they're like just fresh yeah and you know the the, the dad well, and you have integrity so at some point you have to say like well, the story gets deep. Okay. If you got go. a second. No, go. Let's go. <laughs> so That's what this is about. I'll make it as short as I can. You, you do your thing. So I get there and they he he like built a stage for them in the house. Like, you know, he built like a studio for oh them. Oh, God. And I'm like, okay, they can play. They're not really a band. I said, play me an original. And they're like, well, we haven't written originals. Like, you know, we just play covers. And and the, the dad was like, well, that's your what you're here for. I'm like, I'm not that kind of producer. I'm not a songwriter. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, I guess you could be. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's not my job. That's not what I like to do. Yeah. You know, there's other very way more talented people at that than me. Yeah. And um, and I was like, but I, you know, my thing is to get a band and make sure that it sounds good and make sure that it feels good. I mean, you know, one of the craziest things I tell people all the time is speakers have no emotion. Exactly. They don't, they don't, they have, they're the flat, I mean, not the flattest, but they have no emotion, yeah. but somehow we make emotion come from them Absolutely. and we give them life. Well, I'm a, I'm a huge champion of engineers yeah. and you know this, yeah. you guys are the unsung heroes of everything. Mm-hmm. And to say you're the sixth member of the band is an understatement. Yeah. So, so what ended up happening with this guy, this band is, you know, the father was, very frustrated with me so i was I, I was literally like going looking at my phone go fuck I, i'm supposed to stay here tonight and fly back tomorrow and i'm like I, maybe you can find a hotel <laughs> maybe i can book a flight back because i thought it was just you know he actually was upset with me Aww. and he was like this is like a negotiating tactic i was like no it's not i'm being honest with you yeah and then the kids were great we talked we had a great time he left he comes back and brings a number on a paper like you see in movies oh my lord and he was like you know it's not about money dude i i, I have to i i have my my integrity here. and i said i was like i go buddy this is it's not about money i mean this is a lot of money and i go but they need to be in a van they need to go play they shows. need to live life they need to fucking write songs yeah, they need yeah. to figure it out Somebody else did the record or went in with them. Someone we know. Okay. I won't say who it was. Okay. Uh, I, won't, I won't throw them under the bus. 
Um, and was it all covers or did they write some new? No, music? they write some new stuff. It was, okay. But the guy called me like a year later. The dad? Yeah. Okay. And he was suing the guy. See, this is, this, this is like, oh God. And then he was like, why didn't you take, because I asked you, why didn't you do the record? I went, because I couldn't manage your expectations. Dude, that's fair. I but go, see, but that's honest. I was like, you're paying me to do something, but I already saw that like you weren't listening to my advice. So I'm just going to have to manage your expectations. And at the end of the day, you're going to pay me this huge amount of money and think I'm robbing you. Yeah, and you're suing the other guy. Let's not talk about and the I, elephant I, in the and room. And then I told him, you need to drop that lawsuit. I oh, go, good for if you. you don't listen to me then, listen, to, listen me to me now. And he was like, you know what, man? He goes, I get my way all the time. I never listen to anybody. I don't have to. I, he's rich. He's a billionaire, right? Oh, wow. It's like, those guys don't have to answer to anybody. Right, right. You know, but they do. Well, they get, yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's his kid. So if he has any soul at all. Yeah. And, and it was so funny. He dropped the lawsuit. Oh, good. And the guy called me. And goes, thank you. Thank oh, me. And I was like, I go, I know sometimes it's, it's feast tempting. or famine yes, in this yes. business. It's always feast or famine. Yes. So I get it. And I, I didn't knock him for, for, for taking the money. You know, it's like, I get it. Yeah. But you knew already yeah. that this was not a gig. And we, um, hey, we've all done stuff that we're like, ah, I'm not really feeling it, but I'll, you know, it's pretty good. And it's a job. My thing is I'm going to make it better. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, but well, with that but with that particular situation, I knew I couldn't make it better. And no. I knew I couldn't make him happy. Now, I wonder if any of those young guys are still making music. They're not even a band anymore. Yeah, bummer. I mean, I remember, uh, I, it's, it's funny you say that because about before COVID hit, one of the band members reached out to me and was just like, he had another band. And I was like, oh, would you name it different? He goes, no, we didn't even last six months after we made oh, that wow. record. Like, they weren't a band. Yeah. They, they were young kids trying to figure out what they wanted to do. Well, maybe someone will come out of that fold that yeah. will actually have a career. Yeah. I mean, you and I have certainly heard a lot of crazy stories. I mean, one of the most, you know, known ones is, you know, Grohl coming out of Nirvana and sure. being able to do Foo Fighters. But there are many. There are others, for yeah. sure. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I want to I go back to, so like, we you, you were... We've kind of skipped over high school, but that's fine. Yeah. You got your first, you got your foot in the door, you got your first thing. Um, what was your first band as a first engineer? Oh, it wasn't a band. Oh. It was. Was um, it a commercial? No, it was uh, Paul Rothschild. Oh, okay. And this came from Cherokee. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so it was Christmas. All right. And I. At Cherokee, I was just supposed to be there answering phones. Okay. Right? Yes. I mean, literally. like Opportunity knocks, by the way, yeah. if you're listening. Uh, Paul Rothschild walks in with the tape under his arm. And it's like, where's Mike? And I was like, there's nothing on the schedule for anyone being here. Oh, well, yeah, of course. He was, I have a vocal overdub. Oh, wow. With a singer coming in an hour. Oh, shit. And he was like, and, I, I'm, and this is when you had pagers. Oh, yes, I remember. Beepers, you know. Yeah, I had them. And I'm fucking beeping everybody. No one's picking up. Yeah, they're, no they're sleeping. Answering. And again, I already worked around a little bit, you know, so I I, I knew how to line the, line the machine. I already knew how to do it. You know, it's like, and I so was you like, just stepped up? I stepped up. Good for you. And I was like, okay, let me do this. I got the machine, lined the machine. He wanted his M49 up. Got he brought, set up brought, the mic. Brought, brought his own mic. Brought in, his own mic, okay. You know, set it up. And he didn't tape operate. He just, you know, yeah. was like, so I, I ran the machine, 
we did the vocal i comped the vocal good and, for you, know, you. Thing, and he was like that's balls out he was like great job oh I and he was it. like but i'm gonna fucking talk to uh susan D's, and find out why his wife you know yeah, susan yeah. donaldson oh i know yeah and uh and i got called in dude and they gave you a hard time they fired me fuck that yeah and 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 the only person who was super nice was Jeff. Yeah. And uh, D was kind of pissed. And I was just like, and I said to him, hey, man, if those are the kind of people you are, I don't want to work here. Well, and let's just really look at it. I mean, if, if one of my, if that happened, first of all, that wouldn't happen under my watch because I'd <laughs> answer my phone. But, uh, you know, if it happened in the middle of the night, I would, and recently some happened where one of the kids got offered an opportunity that I would not have necessarily put this kid up for but he took it anyway and thank god it went all right because it would have been my reputation had it not gone all right but again I think it's righteous that you stepped up yeah you know but what happened was Paul called me a week later and was like I can't believe they fucking fired you oh very cool of him and he was like he was I'm gonna get you a gig and I was like, really? He goes, I have a friend who, you did a great job on the vocals. I have a friend who needs the same thing. He needs someone to sit there with him and punch vocals and comp vocals for him and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay. He goes, uh, make sure you bring an invoice. I was like, what the fuck is an invoice? I oh. went to fucking Thrifty and bought like an invoice book. <laughs> oh, I love it, dude. So you could get paid. So I could get paid. And it was like the guy, we sat there and we we, we chatted and he liked my vibe and I sit there and we he, we punch vocals and you know it's like we comp it and uh, so Kirsch, I mean uh, uh, Rothschild gave me my first God actual bless. gig. God bless him, dude. And it's like you know I made like you know it was like I was making a hundred bucks or something like that. You know whatever Say, didn't matter. You know and we were doing late night sessions. Like it was like he had a job, but he was coming in like at eight o'clock and. Yeah, that's that's a thing that I don't miss, and I think something we're definitely going to talk about while we're talking today. Robert and I were talking before we started doing the show. It's like, you know, the 24-hour day, it still happens a lot. And when I worked at Soundcastle in that world, in that gangster rap world, and in yeah. that early hip-hop world, it was very, very normal to have things go overnight. And, you know, with or without drugs, just to go until the point of exhaustion. And it never has ever made sense to me. Why would you? I mean, I get that you get inspired. And I get that you're on a roll, but why would you want to do, like, I think the longest I ever did when I was learning how to be an assistant, I think the longest I ever worked was like a, like 38 hours straight. Dude, I didn't know my name. Yeah. I mean, that's when you make terrible mistakes and you're tired. So I always, as a, as a boss, and it happened. It happened this weekend. I had a couple really long sessions. But when I'm the second I'm made aware, I'm juggling and scrambling to try to replace yeah. them so the people aren't exhausted. I, I don't I don't get that exhaustion yeah. game. Yeah. I, I, I stopped doing that a while ago. I was just like, I ain't playing this game. Well it'll I mean, it'll kill you. Yeah. It, <laughs> it'll make you sick. You know uh, um a lot of people we've lost a lot of people from either drugs or just simple health. Me and Ed yeah. Journey yeah. um had the same management for a while. Oh, okay. And so Ed became a later friend. Like yes. I, I, I oh, mean, what a, what a, what an incredible! No longer with us, but one of the best people on the planet. So I saw him when he was at the village. Oh yeah, and uh, I had put some weight on. Yeah, because you look great now. It's like pizza at eleven. See, what o'clock. are you gonna do? You're sitting in a chair for fourteen hours exactly. a day. And Ed came to me and said, "Hey, man, put some weight on." Shit. And I was like, "Well, and he struggled too with his weight." Sure. No one else ever told me that. 
and someone who's been doing it for that long yeah. has been like, dude, you just got to take care of your health. You got to get salad. Got to get salad and go to bed. Yeah, but it was that thing of like, I couldn't go to bed. I, I did fucking 12 hours or yeah. 13 hours. My head is still going, fuck, was that chorus perfect? Oh, dude. You know, I wouldn't go to bed for four more hours after that. I think what sets you and people like Ed Cherney apart and uh, kind of calls the herd is the caring. Because, I mean, the second, if you're not, I always tell my staff this, and I think you'll agree with me. If you're not nervous going into the session, you don't care. Yeah, you don't. You know, and it doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. Yes, you, you develop a certain amount of confidence in your ability and you understand what you're doing. But if you don't. You're building a car from scratch every time. Dude, it's insane. Yeah. It's so, it's so, it's one of the most unique um, jobs in the world because it's such a mix of art and science. You know, it's so highly technical. Yeah. You know what I mean? So God bless Eddie. So did that sort of set you on a track to looking out for yourself a little bit more? It did. And then unfortunately he passed. Yeah. Not much longer after that. Yeah. He died, you know, he died of cancer. And I remember, there's a picture of him in my office actually, but I remember him saying to me, he went and he was, and he had some back problems and he got an x-ray for his back or his knee or something crazy like that. And they saw something on the film. And Eddie used to smoke like a lot of us did. I, I mean, I don't, I haven't smoked for a very long time, but, um, you know, the things that you do when you're young catch up with you. So if you're listening to this and you think that you're superhuman or you're, you know, invincible, take my word for it. You know, you're yeah. not. <laughs> I mean, I look at this, I was, I started when I was 15 or 12, really. Yeah. And I've never had a job. Good for you. I mean, I'm. 50 something years old good now, for you say. Dude. <laughs> but dude i'm 64 i don't yeah. even know where it went you're about 10 years older now. dude i don't even know where it went and it wasn't till again just kind of like i was like oh yeah i'm, I'm i gotta get my shit together a little bit you know Not, well and you have a, a wife and yeah. a family and a lot to live for and i think that that you know the rock and roll lifestyle it's uh it eats you up and chews you up and spits you out yeah i mean very few although Although, back to our British, our British artists who you and I both love. Yeah. Some of them, when they get sober, they lose their their musical edge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I look back on, and I'm not promoting drug use, but I look back on like Clapton when he was with Cream, yeah. you know, and then or or anyone, not to specifically call anybody out. It could have just been the time in their life they were more, you know, had different creative, you know flow whatever but then you look back and you go you know you were better when you were high <laughs> i mean i hate to say that I assisted in the zone right Dwayne johns and andy johns oh andy my favorite my favorite and andy I miss him so much andy was insane dude he's a genius he's a ge- dude he did sticky fingers when he was 19 the two different brothers oh i know you know it's just crazy oh i got in the middle of that actually <laughs> that's a funny short story and glenn if you listen to this know that i have nothing but admiration and respect for you and um and so yeah so i was managing and glenn it was when i was here at six thousand when it was cello and glenn came in to do a session and everyone was like you know the glenn the glenn story is he a taskmaster yeah, yeah. you know he was absolutely wonderful he was actually very very cool and I became friends with Andy separately and unrelated. And Andy used to live by me in Studio City. And then he started coming to my house like for barbecues and stuff. And I couldn't believe it because I'm such a, again, such a geeked out fan yeah. of, of his stuff, you know. And we became really good friends. And toward the end of Andy's life, I, to, to Glenn's credit, I reached out to Glenn 
And I said, you know, Andy really needs you. I said, I know you don't know me and you have no reason to listen to me. I said, but I saw him yesterday and, you know, he needs you and he needs your help. He is struggling. You know, like some people that we know, like an injury happens and then someone starts taking opioids for pain and the next thing you know you're addicted to opioids and if you like to drink like andy did that's a bad lethal combo you know and uh i don't know if it had it probably had zip to do with me but what ended up happening and i think i'm pretty sure it did happen is that that glenn reached out to andy uh prior to his death and i think that there was some kind of because uh, they were kind of estranged and i think there yeah. was some kind of positive thing that happened Good. so hopefully if i had something to do with that i hope that i did but i mean andy dude yeah. dude, let's talk about andy johns dude. so i did a session <laughs> with him at, at track record yeah right and he was fucking pinning the ssl oh yeah just like yeah, yeah. he comes to me that night and he was like robert I have a request. And I was like, what's that? He was like, I don't want to hear the meters tomorrow. Yeah, what does that even mean? And I was like, I, I got it. He's, <laughs> so I, I forgot the tech who was there. I was like, hey, man, <laughs> just you got to figure out. How turn to dis- them off. <laughs> you got to figure out how to turn the meters off. Yeah. It wasn't the SSL they had that time. They had a, fuck, they had a different console in that room. Ah, oh, shit, I don't remember. Doesn't but, matter. Uh, and uh, I was like, how yeah. Do you- he, and he was like, what? And I was like, you got to figure it out because he's going to come in tomorrow and he's going to be pissed if he hears those. Because it was like he was hitting everything. So oh, yeah. It was like, click, 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 click. Yeah. The stereo bus was click, click, click. And, you know, it was just like, you know. Dude, no. and I have the question. Does that actual clicking get picked up in the recording? No, not. no, but it's like. Annoying. It's annoying in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because and, and everyone would walk in and go like, what's that clicking sound? Oh, like, God. You're hearing music and he listened loud. Dude, so loud. And, yeah. and then you were hearing clicking sounds that he didn't want to hear it anymore. And I was just like, you got to figure this out, man. <laughs> you got to help me out. Next day he came in, hit play. No clicking. Dude, God bless that he just, tech. He just looked at me and went. Nice. <laughs> I, have a, I have a funny Andy Johns story. I actually have many, some of which I cannot tell. But this is a pretty good one. And this was told to me, this is borderline hearsay. So if you listen to this and you know the real story, <laughs> feel free to you know challenge my, my recollection. But uh, it was when this was, uh, I think it was probably when it was Western, but it might have been when it was Ocean Way. And the story was that Eddie Money was here working and that Andy, I don't, I think Andy, Andy was either working with Eddie or he was working on another project and they were both really drunk, really high. And they were in the hallway outside studio three, trying to pee into Heineken bottles. And so they were in the hallway and around the corner comes a Christian children's choir (laughs) (laughs) walking around the corner. And you know, Andy, was not a diminutive guy. This is guy is like six five, yeah, six guy. big guy, you know. And then supposedly turns in mid p <laughs> to these kids, and they all run screaming. <laughs> they all run screaming. That could be total BS, but I believe it because it sounds, sounds like, something, like Andy. Yeah. It sounds like yeah. something Andy would do. I mean, you look at these people, and back to kind of when you started out, and you were saying like you look to the to the British producers and stuff like that. I mean. Like like everyone here, everybody was winging it, man. I remember Jeff Emmerich told me a story, again, rest in peace, incredible engineer yeah. who was the Beatles' early engineer. And Alan Parsons has some juicy stories too. But he said that he got in trouble at Abbey Road because he was doing things differently than the techs at the time yeah. would let him do and with mic placement and stuff like that. And a song across the universe, he said he put – he said he put mics around the room in a circle and that he put John on a swing. 
mm. and that he pushed him. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's true or not, yeah. but it said he swung around the room and was singing while he was moving in this circle. Yeah. But point being, innovation comes when someone tells you you can't do, do something, something yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? And you go, wait a minute, you know, the Tom Dows, the Jeff Amricks, the Bruce Swedeens, everybody who was just, and, you know, taking stuff from broadcasts like Tom Down did, you know, he was a physics major yeah. in the 30s. Yeah. Said he went back to college after he was working at Atlantic and was going to go back to school for physics. And he said they were teaching stuff from the, the 30s. And yeah. he said, this isn't true. Well, this that's is... not, yeah, that's not what's happening. Now, you know, they just created the bomb and all this yeah. other stuff had happened. He said, I'm going to go back and work at Atlantic. And so, but they took broadcast consoles and modified them. And almost everything I think we use today would probably, not what we use today, but originally yeah. came from broadcast because they didn't, consoles didn't exist. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Other than a radio station. Yeah. Or and and the BBC, a lot of those, all those cool people, dude, that were doing that. And thank you, thank you, thank yeah. you, all of you. Standing on the shoulders of giants, innovators, and yes, giants. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. So you you do the thing with Paul Rothschild, and then what did? Who was the friend, and what did you do? What was the invoice for? Do you uh, remember? Uh, artist was a guy named Kirk Miller. Okay, that's from Um And uh, it was just for vocal comping. Okay, got it. You know, at the end of the day, you did a whole record. We did the whole vocal comping. And Have you ever edited two inch? Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, that was, I mean, that was the thing. When I first started, my, you know, I have my three older brothers, and they're, two of them are engineers, and my brother Steve, who I give all my credit to, who, who I helped when he had a studio the old, at the old Kendon, you know, where Red Zone was. He yeah. had to take one. And I was just, I never was really an engineer but i would just help him and i remember just the commitment like editing two inch you know it's like yeah. it was not like pro tools now no. it was you commit you had to commit i mean in a weird way i think it was better okay? i come from okay. a different time because i made that transition okay you the, did from the 80s all right yeah, yeah you did like all we did was cut tape mm-hmm if we if we needed to check if an edit worked, we would lay the drums on the two track, yeah, and cut the two track first before we even cut the multi track. The multi track to yeah. do a test edit to see if it would work, if it was pushing or pulling. And my point being here, commitment though. Commitment, yeah. <laughs> and then I watched digital and performance. Performance, and then from like early nineties, ninety one maybe I yeah. think is the first time I saw session yeah. eight. Dude, I bought a Pro Tools rig in 98 when I ran cello and rented it back yeah. to the studio. But I remember thinking, like, this doesn't... A, I thought it sounded like crap, the first Pro Tools. Yeah, we had Pro, we had the early version of Pro Tools, Session 8, and then it became um, Sound Tools. Right, Sound Tools, And yep. then from there, we started having ADATs and D88s. Yeah. Oh, a lot of those digital formats like the Gen X and the yeah. Fairlight. Was Fairlight? Fairlight right? was one of them. A lot of those things. And it was interesting to watch as a studio manager because my side of things would be that these things would need to be archived. Yeah. You know, like DATs. Like somewhere there's DATs of, from cello, you know what yeah. I mean? But all that stuff, ADATs, Fairlights, Gen Xs, all that stuff. I think, I think Bruce Springsteen was a big Gen X guy. But all that stuff had to be archived. And I remember getting a call from Warner Brothers and them saying, look, we don't know how long these digital drives are, yeah, yeah. and these digital things will last. We're going to take everything and put it back to two inch. Yeah. So I'd, I made a lot of money at, sure. for a minute there just transferring stuff. Yeah. You know, and I think... 
I mean, we still don't know, right? We still don't know what lasts longer. Every now we have the cloud. Every people six try to months, explain the cloud yeah. to me. <laughs> every six months, I re back up. Yeah, I have, I've got my. I think my first Pro Tools rig was like a on a new bus power computer or whatever. No, it wasn't a power computer. It was like a new bus, whatever it was. Yeah. And I still have that first record I did on 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 Pro wow. Tools wow. backed up. And every couple of years, you have to open it up. Turn change, on the drive. Turn on the, well, no, I don't even, the, that drive's long gone. Okay. I transfer to new drives. Oh, gotcha. You know, it's like I have, I used to, I mean, literally my garage, I had yeah. 600 hard drives in there. Well, you know, now this, this is something I was talking, I was had dinner with Mark Needham last night and I was talking to him and I was saying, you know, uh, you know, as a studio manager, there would be times when the studio would close and I would contact the label and I contact the artists and they wouldn't come get their stuff. And I had all these two inch tapes in my basement when I lived in this house wow. in Glendale and a water pipe broke. I don't even want to tell you what was wow. in my basement wow. that got like destroyed, but I, it wasn't for lack of trying and calling people to come get their stuff. So Mark and I were laughing because he said, and I, the artist will go unnamed, but he said he had all of these original he had he had tape and he'd put them on the drives and he had tape and he had drives and he just got sick of lugging them around and he kept calling the artist and he kept calling the label and finally he was just like screw it yeah. and he said he threw a bunch of stuff yeah. away he probably still has a backup sure but these were songs that are known yeah yeah. You know, because and, why did it end up being, you know, God bless Iron Mountain. Okay. <laughs> if you're listening to this, you know, trust your producer, trust your engineer, make sure there's six copies, but get your stuff and put it into storage. Yeah. So I, everything I worked on, I, I still have. And wow. I, I transferred them. So I took those 600. I'm sure your drives. wife is loving this. Oh yeah. That. Well, one day I taught my son how to do it. I taught, I, I was like, okay, this is what you're going to do. And those went from those drives to a NAS drive and now to SSD drives. Right. And, and I don't even know what an SSD drive is. It's a solid state drive. Oh, okay, you gotcha. know, there's no moving parts, basically. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, and I'm telling you, from a whole wall in our garage now is a box. Oh, it's so in crazy. My bed, in my extra room. Like it just. Okay. And by the way, back to the cloud thing. Yeah. So if it's on the cloud, Aren't there like giant like server farms in the middle of Nebraska? Like doesn't stuff have to be stored somewhere? Well, farms are funny. It's, if it's Amazon, like, you know, they have yeah. their, their cloud services, which right. is AWS, I believe. Um, I don't know. Believe me, I, I've looked into all this shit. Of course, because you're fucking genius. And uh, they'll send, I mean, for a few thousand dollars, they send you a, a hard drive. So if I want it, so... You know, I didn't do this for myself, but I, I, cause I want the stuff. It looks like a briefcase. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh wow. It's like, it comes in like a little, uh, anvil case, you know, (laughs) and they send you this drive, you back up all your data on it and then you send it back to, to Amazon and they, that's trust, connect it to the cloud. And now you have access to all that data and they back it up again. Oh, but it's, it's a few thousand dollars to so do it's, it. But it's a redundant backup. It's a redundant backup. Well, that's, yeah. well, that's a positive. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we've, we've. We've come, you know, I, again, do we think that digital and do we think being able to, you know, to auto-tune your vocal, you know, have 190 tracks? <laughs> I mean, is it well, good? you know what I did? Is it bad? I 
deleted auto tune off my rig. Good for you. And now fucking Melodyne's there forever because it's Dude. embedded in. Well, you know, or, or you could do, you know, what you could do, you know, how we used to have like the dummy fader on the session, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. like that the fader that went nowhere. Yeah, I've done it. You, you could have like a picture of the logo on the screen yeah. for auto tune, but not actually have the plug in yeah. so that the artist felt a little bit more secure. I mean, nowadays when someone sends me something that's out of tune, I go, I'm not tuning this. You figure it out. Well, that's really, you're expensive to have to, to sit there and spend I, tuning. I just, I'm not trying to, I'm in the creative mode. I'm, I want to, I just want to hear the song. You want to help. It. Yeah. You know, but nowadays I'm just like, I'm just not dealing with that. And well, I know and, people you can send it to. Yeah. Well, this, I mean, <laughs> again, I came up in a weird time. Yeah. Because we were making. You were, yeah, you were, you were the, br me too. The bridge. Bridge in the gap. Yeah. You of, know, of, for like, sure. You know. I mean, we weren't recording on wire when I was doing it. But, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's like the transition from, you know. I you mean, know, I still run tape all the track, time. 8-track, 16-track, 24-track. All that shit was gone already by the time I got into this business. Yeah. 24-track was king. Yeah. And then we got into 48. Yeah. Dude, the 40, yeah, the 32-track Mitsubishi and yeah. then the 48-track Sony. Yeah. And, and at that point, you know, Pro Tools came in and it still wasn't what it should be. Everyone started using ADATs and D88s because... It was that transition of bedroom house, right. bedroom studio. And we went through a major uh, change with that because... Well, a lot of people lost their material. I mean, I remember when O'Henry went down. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and, and people were like, well, are we running a business from someone's house now? Yeah. And the Hollywood thing, the you know, the, the harp. harp, you know, yeah, was getting yeah. involved and yeah. all that shit was getting starting to be a problem. I mean, no, no one knows what that shit is anymore, but... Like, Dude, I feel so lucky because I I still get to run, you know, a real yeah. studio, a real recording studio. And I, I always point out, and you and I would agree on this completely, yes, it's okay. If if you're good, you're good. And, and, and ideally, cream rises to the top. And if you can get your music out there, God, somebody will take it to the finish line for you, hopefully, if it's great. Yeah. Um, mediocrity being allowed to rise into the airwaves, that's a bad thing. People thinking that something sounds good when it doesn't, also a bad thing. But the room as instrument, that's the other thing. And I, you know, when I was a young studio manager, uh, the reason that I ended up in this building is John Porter, the, the British producer who'd yeah. done the Smiths, my dear friend. He changed my life. I, I have to give him credit because when I was at Soundcastle, he said, hey, I'm a, this guy, I'm working for this guy and he wants to buy a studio and we're going to buy 6,000 Sunset. And I knew what that, I knew what this building was. And I was like, oh my God, that's so amazing. But I had also never really been here. And so when I came here and I saw Studio 3, which doesn't have any isolation, you know, I didn't really understand like, I mean, I work with baffles and dog houses and stuff before, but I didn't really understand like, how does, how does that work? And then I'm thinking to myself, well, the Beach Boys made it work. You make it work. You know what I mean? And the Mamas and the Papas made it work. I have a question, yeah. and I know people listening to this are going to laugh at me. Why are mono records so clear and so much louder? Um, Dude, if you listen yeah. to like the original mono of that, A, it sounds freaking amazing. There's no phantom image. Oh, okay. So it's like everything gets summed up, and it just, I mean, mono is, uh, you know, for what intensive for all intents and purposes it's like if you can't hear it in mono then it doesn't exist like how loud is that guitar i mean we have two ears so yeah, I, so yeah. we kind of we're stereo yeah but oh, God, I, are we though <laughs> i where was i um oh that's right i was at the 
in Rockfield. Again. Um, yeah. Um, and um, they were playing me the original Bloomin' microphone techniques. Oh, wow. In stereo. Wow. Like, they had them there. Right. You know, um, Joe Meek yeah. u- used to, at Rockfield, He that's where he had his laboratory. Oh, wow. And I remember when we were there, Kingsley was like, oh, well, that's the corner Joe used to build all his shit oh. in. And I was like, whoa. And then he was like, there's prototypes there that he never finished. He goes, we never touched it. We left it. It's been years, decades. Did you dig in? Oh, yeah, I looked. Oh, he was showing fun. me, and it was just like, oh, I don't know what that is. Like, you know, but, but. But why is mono sound good? Well, the thing is, I went to, God, I forgot. There's this place down here in Eagle Rock, this guy who does transfers. Uh, he does a lot of archiving. Okay. And he's got this one tannoy mono speaker and he played me stuff and i was it sounded amazing incredible like yeah. just the dimension and everything less is more this is what i'm saying i mean i think it's frequency <laughs> response at times right you know it's like you know one of the things people don't realize is like when you're doing a guitar tracking and you overdub it and put it on the left hand side it's like what you're really hearing is just the difference in the playing yeah you know, so it's going that but if you eq it a little differently on the left and eq it a little differently on the right it creates a different kind of separation. Right. You know, it's That's like so crazy that, you know, I mean, again, I was bitching at someone the other day because they jumped, or Keith was because they jumped to EQ something before doing mic adjustment, yeah. which is so, so adjust the mic first <laughs> before you EQ. Yeah. But, but that's so interesting because I think I was trying to find something the other day and everything's been digitally remastered and all the mono stuff's been redone and it's all changed. And I think I had, an actual really old LP and I played it and I'm like, Oh my God, this sounds so freaking good. Yeah. They're balancing for frequency response and so that it cuts, you know, what was the story? I think Giles Martin tells a story about like the Beatles didn't even really hang out for for the the early stereo stuff. It was the the mono was the most important thing. And then they left and people went in and just did stuff. So, so now we're up to 17 speakers (laughs) with Atmos (laughs) and I'm not going to, I'm not going to trash anything. I, I think that, it all has its place. You and I have both seen a lot of multi-channel uh, formats come and go. Oh, yeah. um, I don't happen not to have an Atmos room here. Um, I've listened to a lot of Atmos stuff in different environments, and God bless Dolby. And I thought Oro was very cool. Oro was another format that didn't quite make yeah. it. That was very very cool, kind of like a you know Beta and VHS, but. Uh, you know, it's not the best doesn't necessarily always win, but I do respect Dolby and here we are with Atmos and that's great. I personally find that the immersive immersive experience for multi-channel, whatever, listening experience, to me it's good with picture. I don't know that, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm in a car, you know what I mean? I'm not going to have, um, you know, I have this, uh, Dan McCarroll, when he was working for Amazon, brought me in one of the uh, Amazon Echoes. Yeah. And it's an HD, and it's supposed to be an Atmos Echo. Yeah. It's in my office now. And so, like, it shoots out your office. You know, I yell at it all day. You know, Alexa, play this. Alexa, But it shoots out your office, and it measures and does some algorithm of the space. But, again, this particular thing yeah. is not a proper Atmos setup. It's just, you know, it's just. Yeah, it a, does some tricks. It's a box, and it does some tricks. Around, yeah. But for me, it only, it rarely it really only applies with picture for me, although, and I got to give Steve Jenowick and Nick at Capo and a lot of these guys. I mean, I went, 
I listened to Rocket Man early on in Atmos, and I thought it sounded like butt. And I thought that the background vocal was way too prevalent. And I yeah. asked, I said, has Elton heard this? And they said, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, well, somebody might want to play it for him. You know what I mean? He may or may not go for it. But then I went to Blackbird, and I was in John McBride, the room that yeah. was Jordan yeah. Massenburg's room, room yeah. that's an ATC Atmos yeah. room. Yeah. Dude, I cried. Yeah. It was so moving. And again... I'm not quite sure if that was a Genowick mix or who did that, but whoever actually mixed yeah. it, they they got it. I heard that one because I heard the original version first. Yeah, and I didn't. Did you dig the first one? No, I didn't. Okay. I dig the second one. Whoever did the second one. Yeah, really got, whoever it. you are, you're, you're yeah. freaking genius. See, I cried. It's funny you say that because I was at Capitol. When they were first trying to do it? No, no. Uh, two days before the pandemic oh, hit. Oh, wow. A couple days before the pandemic hit. Wow. Um, they had a session there. And Jenowick was like, hey, man, want, you know, it was like, I want to play you some stuff. And I was like, okay. Dude, he's know. so talented. And um, he played me some Marilyn Manson stuff. Oh, how funny. And how timely. some Beastie Boy stuff. Oh, I love the Beastie Boys so much. And I sat there and I told him, I was like, they're going to hate this. Yeah. And he was like, what? And it was like. But not it's, not that, what not, they, it's not what they intended. It's not, the, it's not that it's not interesting. Yeah. But. You know that little shaker that you're yeah. like moving around the room? Yeah. That's never, that was never supposed to be heard. It was supposed to be felt. Right. It's like. Well, and I like audience perspective. Yeah. So that's another thing I have, it, I take issue with, with this kind of uh, format is I don't want to be on stage. Yeah. With the guitar yeah. up my butt. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I want to. I look at it as like a cookie. Okay. Tell me how it's like a cookie. You don't want to taste the salt. You don't want to taste the sugar. Right, you don't want single ingredient. You want the, big, oh, like the bigger it. picture. Yeah. You want the cookie. Not the ing not the flour, not the water, not the milk. You want yeah. the cookie. Oh, I like that. That's a good way to put and, it. And, and that's my analogy I said to him. And I said, I go, I'm just telling you because, you know, I, I worked with Mario C all, a bunch for many years. Yeah, and, you're friends too. And um, I'm like, you know, I go, I go, and you know, Mario's did all the BC records. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I'm I love, a, I love, I listen to, to yeah. Sabotage all the time. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I, and I sit there and I'm just like, I'm just telling you, like, so even for me, like the, in the Marilyn Manson one too, I was like, I, it was, I was like, and, and gone honest, Jenna was like, good. I need this feedback. I need to know these things. Yeah. Yeah. He's, his ego is not involved. I do in love this. that about yeah. him. Yeah. He's he all was just about like, I need to know what you think. He goes, that's why I asked you to listen to this. Yeah. Yeah. I want to make it right. Yeah. I want to make sure that, you know, I was like, yeah, it's just, you know. Again, uh, I think the Atmos thing, again, I've, I've done a couple of Atmos. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's, it's definitely going to be here for a minute. And I think it, the thing that's so crazy to me, and I know you're going to laugh, is that we're doing all this and we're doing and we're putting such care, those about the professionals in the business, the engineers, putting such care into this. And then people are listening to it on earbuds. But the earbuds now, which are the multi channel, yeah. I, I don't even understand how that's spatial works. audio shit. Yeah, you know, I mean, spatial yeah. audio shit. I did hear a track that was recorded with Atmos in mind, and it was Beck, and it was Seventh Heaven, mm -hmm. and it was 196 original tracks. Now, that's a lot going on. Yeah. But it was awesome. Yeah. See, that sounded awesome to me, as opposed to something that was originally mono or even originally stereo. And like you said, you don't want to single out that ingredient. There was, you know, bands playing together. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's not like the guitar player is playing a note and waiting for the drummer to hit the drums. Yeah. And that's kind of what Atmos did. Yeah, it's, 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 I, I'm looking forward to, and again, this is just like, 
Well, we grow, we grow, and we we bend. For I, I, these I'm things. more looking to say like if someone actually makes a Atmos record, where it's done from beginning to from end. beginning to end with the you know, intention I, that of must that. have happened by now. It hasn't not that I know. Of. My stomach just growled on. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, yeah, I wonder. I mean, you know, we saw. You know, first there was the quad thing. When we were, when we were, you weren't probably even born yet, yeah. but there's the quad thing. And then there was, you know, the euphonics console, which came out. And then for, for me, it always made sense with film. Yeah. Like it always, it always like you're watching an action scene and there's dialogue and there's Foley and there's music, you know, that I could kind of process and experience it or like a concert yeah. record uh, where you're watching a live show uh, or rather watching a DVD of a concert. But I remember DVD audio, and I again, I listen to music in my car a lot, so I thought, well, how is that going to work where I'm going to have, like, the safety brake, like, up up my butt? Like, sure. how's that going to work? And and my husband, it's funny, it's usually the wife, but in my house, it's like, man, I'm going to hang these speakers like that. And we have in our house, we have these hardwood beam, like, redwood ceilings. My husband's like, you're not drilling into the ceiling <laughs> to hang speakers. He's never gonna, not going to put anything anywhere. Yeah. You know, so I'm reduced to, like, this sound bar. Yeah. You know what I mean? But we will, we will see, you it, know. It, I mean, the tree's I'm... being shaken. We'll see where it falls. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I always I, go to Bob. Oh. I go to Bob Clearmount. Oh, I was yeah. Like, what, what, what's going he's on? He's done cool stuff. And I, he's been doing the 5-1 thing forever. Yeah, and, and he's and been doing the Atmos thing, and his Atmos thing is cool, too. Yeah, and I was just like, what? I, I literally was like, what techniques are you talking about? And he was like. Because it was the left, right, center thing with with five point one yeah. and trying to figure out what to stick in the back, and uh, and now what is it? It's I think Atmos is minimally eleven one or is it minimally nine one? I think it's, but it's seven seven dot one or seven dot right. Okay, so seven, 7. one, but most of them are eleven, twelve, something 15, like that, yeah. seventeen, something yeah. like that. And there's issues with that. Believe there me, were phasing I, issues. Like, can I just say that? Yeah. I mean, you know, like how's that working? Yeah, comb filtering, you know, all kinds of shit. <laughs> and, and you have to learn how to work around that so that it doesn't do it. Because when I did it, I started going, wait a minute. Why did you get I... a headache? Well, I understood, like, because I, I, what happened was after seeing Genoic, after being at Capitol that time, I was like. I need to get a handle on this. I go, well, I'm like, what is this? Because it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm interested in anything that's, of course. that's you know. innovative. So I was like, okay, I bought the software. Mm. I mean, anyone can buy the software. Yep. And I was like, okay, I'm going to play around with this a little bit and see what the binaural thing is. Right. And I remember the binaural microphone yeah. from the 80s. Yeah. So I played around with it, and I was like, this is interesting. You know, so then I, what I did was I, I uh, God, what did I, I bought some, I don't remember the speaker names, but I bought like a bunch of inexpensive speakers and set it up in my room. I'll give a shout out to Cali Audio because yeah. they make some really great yeah, yeah. stuff. And uh, PMC, of course, very tied with all the great speakers. I have it. We're at ATC house. Yeah, I'm ATC I, I, fan. Uh, and John's room at Blackbird is ATC. It's yeah. one of the, it's the only Atmos room that I've been in. That's all ATC. I know there are a couple, but, uh, Cali audio, a uh, young mixer here, Jeff Ellis, who, you know, he's got an Atmos set up in his room. Cause you know, as a mixer, as sure. you are, people are going to task you to do that. They're sure. going to be like, Hey, take, take this and do this. Um, but I, did I interrupt you? Should no, no, no. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm but, just saying this. It's just one of those things where I, I need to know what this is. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to be in this business for 30 years and go, I don't know what that is. Right, you don't want to close your mind. Yeah. Things. And I, I was like, okay, I play with it a little bit. And I was like, oh, there's some very shortcomings of this. And 
again, phase. Yeah. Phase. Yeah. And then uh, I did this band called the Star Crawlers. Well, that's a cool name. Yeah. And uh, they're a local band, and, and they were like, the, the company, the record label demanded uh, Atmos. And I was like, okay. So I'll, this is like recently. This is like a year ago. So yeah. I already played with it. I knew it. Um, I wasn't going to make the investment into it. So I went to another st- Gold Diggers. They have a oh great yeah. They have an Atmos room, and yeah. I kind of was like, okay, I brought it there and mixed it there. Lemon Tree's a cool one too. And they came in. The band was like, it sounds great, but I kept that thing. Bob told me, he was like, it's just got to feel like it's powerful from all around you. Oh, I like that. You know. Front loading stuff. Again, we're all about emotion. Yeah. And, and yeah, exactly. And it was like, okay. So I would just go back and forth between the stereo mix and the Atmos. And I was like, okay. So we put a little bit more background vocals on the sides, you know, just tiny little things. But I wasn't making shit fly around. Or yeah, 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 like, yeah, like yeah, most yeah, people, yeah. Most people are. I'm like, yeah, it's like flying around. And it's, it's a- like, that shit doesn't interest me. You know, I want it to sound like the record, but just expand it. Well, and it's one thing to sit and listen to. Yeah. It's one thing to sit and listen to a song, but to have this was one of the things that happened early on, and I got in trouble. They had the Surround Awards, and this is pre Atmos, and uh, and they gave Elliot Shiner an award for Bohemian Rhapsody, and I love Elliot Shiner. I hold him in the highest regard, yeah. but I got in trouble because I went up to present him his award, and I said. I love the stereo version of this song because I love Queen and I, I loved it. And then I remembered watching him and Alan Parsons kind of running around the room looking for the sweet spot. And we were in, you know, it, to their, you know, credit, we weren't really in a studio. We were in sort of like a conference room at a hotel. But I was thinking to myself, well, if you have to run around in circles and you know, I mean, obviously all listening spaces have a sweet spot. Control rooms have a sweet spot. It's usually, you know, the top of your head or your chest or something like that when you're in a studio. But I just thought that just seems so goofy to me. Like, it's just so goofy. If you yeah. got to run around in a circle and if you're straining to hear it, aren't you then sort of not really experiencing the emotion of the song? So Atmos, we, we, we're open to you. We'll see yeah. where you go. I'm sure they'll come along with something else. Yeah. And if nothing else, if nothing else, it's giving people work Yeah. to remix and to redo catalog and yeah. stuff like that. But they're also doing pulling some shenanigans with that. Oh, dude, I heard some stuff that just sounded terrible. Yeah. So, you know, that, that'll be what it is. And that's the suits kind of making some decisions yeah. that they don't really need yeah. to make. If, but. if anybody's listening to this, one thing we want to take away, if you're working at a record company, and you don't know how a record is made, I think you should task yourself if they'll let you hang out on the session. You should hang out and quietly observe a session from beginning to end and what it actually takes to capture a performance to the, the social skills required to make an artist feel comfortable to elicit performance and just the technical things that are occurring all around you to get the music recorded and to get, because it's, it's about, the song and it's about the song affecting you and that's i i don't i hope that never changes i've been in a session where um you know we were (laughs) at the most delicate moment a person could have yeah you know and again when we're in the studio it's uh, a sanctuary it's it's not only a sanctuary but some of the stuff that i've experienced with certain artists has been life-changing yeah and i was with an artist where he just found out his dad was dying of cancer oh and he literally was like, I mean, you know, upset, we upset. I was crying. He was crying. He's a dear friend. No. And, and we're sitting there and this guy walks in 
you know, and just like thinks it's funny to. I, he just kind of threw his his shit in there, inserted like, himself, into inserted the himself into in a moment that was just like. And then I had to stand up and go, "Hey, man, can we go outside for a second? And he was like, well, "What's Good going?" Good for you. And I was like, and I told him like, "This is not the time, dude." Yeah, like this you know, that time. And, and he didn't, to his thing. He didn't. He know. didn't know. He, he didn't, didn't know. know. Yeah. I understand that, but that's why I try to keep visitations at studios to a minimum. I do come in and say hi sometimes no, just because no. I love you. But staff and people was different. <laughs> yeah. Because artists usually expect that. Well, and I know the protocol. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, it's that thing. But And again, there there is times when it's like. And artists don't want to be watched by the. Now, record company guy, I'm sitting here telling you to do this. So you got to find the right artist to do it with. Sure. Yeah. Because artists don't want to be under scrutiny, which is why. And I, it's interesting to me now because when we were coming up, there were record companies that owned studios like Warner Brother owned Amigo. Yeah. And, oh, uh, my God, and, Amigo. And, and it, it, remember that? And it didn't really work because the artists didn't like the record company executives kind of breathing down yeah. their neck. Now it's full circle back again where they all have facilities. We're mainly writing rooms probably and, and at most playback rooms. But it's still, I think, you know, if you are on that side of things and you are working for a label and you actually care and you actually want to help artists, you know, give them what they need to create and get out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen some amazing, amazing A&R people oh, come yeah, in too. and do things that I was like, I've seen them almost get in trouble. Oh, yeah, me too. things that they have done for artists that I worked with. Which, but I respect that. Because then you're putting that on the line. Absolutely. And then you actually care about the person that's Absolutely. making the music. So uh, what is, uh, what's next for Robert? Like what, what we talked about at most, we talked about this and that, and I know you're always working with new bands. If someone wants to hire you, what do they do? Uh, I don't Who do have. They call? I don't have a website. I don't have a manager anymore. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of anti-social media, but I got to change that because I want to promote this podcast. Yeah, I, I, I just kind of like after a couple of years, um, this funny experience I had with the, I won't say who, but um, a manager. Not not the manager, but uh, an artist okay. and and a producer. Okay. When we were at a party, and then. Um, our the manager that we know pulled up and he cuts out of a Mercedes AMG, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, uh, the other guy's car comes up and it's a Toyota Corolla. Yeah. And and he was like, "Am I doing something wrong that my manager's driving a Mercedes Very AMG?" Interesting. And I'm not. And yeah. I was like, "Well, first of all, I would never buy that for car for sure because yeah. I think it's you know it what is it? what it is." A but poser car. You know, and nice I was car. like, I went, I go, you don't, I go, I go dude, you got to understand something. He's got 20 people on his roster. Yeah, he's making you're, money from everybody. You're just one of 20. Exactly. And if you're not hot or doing anything at the moment, yeah. then... And they're not, and they don't get you, employ, you know, they're not employment agencies. No. I mean, I, mad respect, got a lot of good friends that are producer, engineer, managers, again, with integrity, who put themselves on the line and are the buffer between the label yeah. and the producer, engineer, get him the money he deserves, get him the points he deserves, you know, but and, that doesn't and exist him. anymore. Points don't exist anymore. Really? That's not a thing? I mean, they, for what? Yeah. Oh, you're, you're right. You're going to get streaming. Streaming, yeah. You work on that. Yeah. You're not getting writers if you didn't write the song. Right, yeah. So it's, it's Write like, a word, get a third. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> you can't equate a billion streams into like making a living. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, know, and everybody bags on Spotify. I, I uh, consulted for Spotify for a while for the facility they were building downtown. They built this cool studio. And I didn't work on the technical side of things. But I did see, and I 
was clear on that model. If you if you think Spotify is holding on to the money, they're not. Yeah. It 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 the gray box as we call it in the industry. Ultimately, look to your label and look to the publishing agreement that you originally made for your publishing because no one could have seen streaming coming. Sure. You know, and that will change and people people will get more money from it as it is monetized, et cetera, et cetera. And I, God knows I want the artist to get all the money they can get. But the quote unquote gray box, if you want to look at something, audit your label. Yeah. Audit your label and find out where your publishing is. There are famous artists that you and I both know who had to fight their labels to get even their writers for oh. 10 years. You know, I'll tell you this off, off, yeah. you know, off microphone, but it's just, um, you label people out there. It's one thing to make money. It's one thing to keep the machine rolling, but don't forget who actually makes the music. Yeah. And now AI is coming into play and you've got people saying, Oh, you know, AI is, AI is great. And this is great. And this is, you know, it's going to be awesome. You know, I don't, obviously AI can only take from what we've created and the data that it's got access sure. to. Right. But I don't, I don't want that. Yeah. I want artists to make music. Yeah. What yeah. about you? Yeah, I mean, I again. It's gonna happen. It's evolution. Yeah, it's gonna right? happen. Um, so we got to get better stuff for the AI to pull from, I guess. Well, the one thing an AI can't do is feel something. That's what I mean. And, and uh, again, sitting with an artist who writes a song, and it's you know. Uh, Again, the same Eliciting artist. Emotion. The same artist I was talking about when his, his father found out he was dying. He wrote a song that night about it, oh. and it it an AI can't do that unless you tell it. And right. then and then there's so many things in the song that are so personal that you know. Now, does anybody know? You know, does people react to that? But I've seen this artist play in front of a hundred thousand people and sing this song, and people cry, and people are crying. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like. And, and it's one of those things where you're just like, this is emotion. This is real. Yeah. This is real. And this is, and that's got, and it's, that's where the fulfillment for me, you know, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a creator. So for me, I'm just sort of an administrator, but I was talking to Paula the other day and, you know, I speak in terms of, I will retire someday. And I don't have that. One of the things that that's the podcast is going to be great. Cause I'll have that for my memories. Yeah. But I said, you know what? It'll be enough for me. I'll be sitting in a oyster bar, hopefully, in South Carolina, somewhere on the coast, and a song will come on, and I'll know that I booked it or that I helped that artist or I helped that engineer or producer, and I'll know. Yeah. And that'll be enough for me. Yeah. And you my, know what I mean? my my thing is when it gets – I still love this. Dude, I love music so freaking and, much. And, like, I want to own my music. Yeah. Right? So I, I have – you know, I'm not a hypocrite. I have – I have – uh, Apple Music. I pay it. Yeah, yeah. 15 I, bucks I listen a month. to Spotify. I, I have Spotify. Yeah. But I go to HD Tracks, which is a website where you can buy high definition audio. So then the artist gets some money. Yeah, and I buy. You know how many times I've bought so many records over the years. Oh, wow. I want to own Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. See, I like physical too. I've been buying a lot of LPs lately, and people tease me because I also buy DVDs for yeah. movies. <laughs> but you know what? That's the thing too, because I, I'll give you an example. Um, you got Netflix, you got all right. these, all these cable companies that make deals with these independent production companies. Yep. And then all of a sudden you can't find something. Yeah. There's no hard copy. Well, they don't even want to stream it because they haven't made their deal, re-up uh -huh. their deal. So it's like, 
you know, you, you like I have, uh, you know, a cable company that like says everyone every fucking month I see something going like, oh, well, you're losing this channel. Right, because, right, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like we have, you know, and we were like, why? And what it is is they can't come to an agreement. Yeah, on Spectrum a deal. had a whole thing with Disney recently that yeah, they came to exactly. some resolution. And I'm like, fuck that. I don't want it. Music. You know, someone asked me in this interview one time, they asked me. Uh, you know, they were like, you've done some interesting music, you know, South American, Brazilian, oh, yeah. know, every, the whole thing. And they're like, what's, what's the thing about music that you'll probably, um, you know, what is it about it that you'll miss? I mean, what, you know, when you're done, I go, I go, no, I'm not going to, I go, I'm not going to be done. <laughs> I'm not going to be done. But the one thing that I think about every once in a while is that one day I'm going to die and I'm never going to hear music again. Dude. That bums me out. Okay. Well, I, I. You know, I'm not particularly religious, but I am spiritual, and I'm hoping that in whatever consciousness, if we do go on, now maybe we go out like a light bulb, I don't know, interesting, <laughs> uh, at the light flickered when I said that, or or maybe we go into some other realm or dimension. You know, I have a theory that like, you know how cats can see spectrums of light that yeah. we can't see, yeah, yeah. or other dimensions? I'm hoping we go into another dimension, and I'm hoping in that dimension that there is some oral component and that we hear, you know, we hear because, yeah. yeah, I, yeah, I love music so much. I, well, that's what you know. That kind of wraps it up. We love music, yeah. you know. We love music, and Robert's going to keep making music. And uh, since he doesn't have a manager, and uh, if you want to hire Robert, I guess you could call me. <laughs> yeah, you can. Or I, I'm on Instagram. Oh, I have, there you go. I have my number there. I have my. Gmails on cool, there. Cool, it's like, cool, cool. Yeah, he's not unreachable. Real quick before I let you go, and we're going to wrap up, but real quick, I was going to say it, I, and I respect you so, so much, and I agree with you a million percent on what we're talking about here. Um, I mean, I look forward to listening to music when I wake up sure. every day. But, uh, oh, man, I just forgot my train of thought. I forgot what I was going to ask you. Basically, uh, oh, I wanted to quit before we, we leave off. The collaboration with Tyler Bates. Oh, yeah. Dude, I'm such a huge fan yeah. of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. And I know he didn't do the last one. Well, we did We did the, We did. did the. John Wick here. Yeah, John Wick here, right? So, and I went to see it in the big theater. Uh, again, try to support the theaters. Sure. Try to support yeah. everybody. And uh, and I listened and I heard what yeah. you had done. And I was so excited. Yeah. But, uh, but what a genius... <laughs> What a genius uh, supervisor, whatever. What is? I mean, Tyler, I went and bought the CDs yeah. of the Guardians of the Galaxy movie yeah. so that I could listen to them in my yeah, office. Yeah. I mean, Tyler. Dude, he's such a genius. Tyler and me, he's the, he's the, my son's godfather. Oh, oh, cool. We go back a long time. Oh, he was yeah, a, see, and I, I don't know if I think I met him through you. He was uh, from Chicago. came out here like is everybody. Is he a musician? Yeah, he's a guitar player. Oh, nice. He was in a band called Pet. They got oh, signed familiar. to Atlantic Records. That's actually familiar. It was I, I recorded and was co-producing that record. Is that how you became friends? That's how we met. Oh, okay. And you know, long story short, you know, it just imploded. You yeah. know, just like most bands, some you know bands they did. We did one record, and then, you know, at, uh, actually it was an imprint for Tori Amos. Igloo. She had her own little imprint. Oh, I remember that. And we did a record with her, I mean, for her, and it was a you know a whole thing. And that's where he kind of started. And then he was like, I, the first movie we did together was a Roger Corman, uh, shitty like you know 
low budget cool thing. director though yeah but you know the record was great but then we started working on other stuff and he just started becoming and again i went in my direction of just keep on making records music like supervision to me is such like if i could if i was going to change anything yeah. i would have gone in that direction yeah. Because loving music as much as I do, but you have to be like a music historian and like George Reculius also yeah. freaking amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah George is you know, and coming from a producer, you know, background. Yeah, the crazy thing with Tyler was like, we'd go and we'd make four hundred bucks, and yeah. then we would go and eat or do something, and yeah. then like, dur and during the time of him starting, you know, he was like, hey man, like I got this one independent movie that's pretty cool was it called uh the last time i committed suicide it was a keanu reeves another movie with yeah. keanu reeves and i love I something love james nice guy life live jazz record and Ooh, we, cool we went to chicago and he goes i didn't write anything down we're gonna improvise to the screen oh shit and it was so weird because was he I, playing everything or he just hired he, the players no he hired some players but he always plays with them gotcha and and i remember just they had this you know the, the film on this, the wall and it, you know how many jazz records I got offered after that? Oh, like, I'm sure. It's crazy. I it was probably just, sounded rad. It was like, and, and the blueprint for that was, um, oh God, what was the movie where they, they Kansas City, yeah. where they had that all the live musicians yes. and it was all live, all done the same thing. And Tyler just has this way of thinking. And Dude, he's so the crazy thing was that while he was doing that, he was still painting houses. Yeah. And he was like, like, just trying to make a living, try trying to, to make a living, and then that got bigger. The next movie got bigger. The next thing got bigger. The next thing bigger. But he, the the thing I will that I will say is like he still remembers when he painted houses. Yeah, well, humility is a golden yeah. trait, and like you me, have it. Me, the guy who's working on a ditch. Yeah. That guy's fucking working. Yeah, he's killing himself. He's yeah. working. I have mad respect for that. I have mad respect for him. I respect him more than I respect myself because that's a hard job. I I'm like. I've never had a job. All I've done was this. Yeah, but and yeah, I, but you, it's it's got. Yeah, again, I we often say in in the studio, like you know, I've seen people get very very upset, and I always take you know, would never want anyone to get upset. But at the end of the day, it's not like you're in an emergency yeah. room. I remember, you know I mean? uh, no one's gonna die. Hopefully, I was <laughs> I was working when my first child was born. Sebastian was born. I remember I was working on a Chris Young movie with. Um, God, Mark Zamoski and um, oh, I forgot the engineer. It happens. Anyhow. And oh, I think it was Rick Baconin. Okay. Oh, I love him. And, and, Talented guy. And I was like, um, I got to go. Like my wife's in labor. And I was so nervous to tell him I had to leave. But he's cool. Rick would have been cool. No, no. Rick was like, there's nothing more important than that. Of course. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was just like... But then I, we've met the people in our lives that would have been, you're not going anywhere. Sure. And that's when you know you're in the wrong room. That's when you know, like, fuck this person. Yeah, fuck that. You know? And, yeah. And, and uh, that's the thing that for me, again, like, all this time, I just... Uh, music has been... It, it's paid for my children's college. Yeah. The clothes I'm wearing. Yeah. My house. I just house, paid off my house. You know, it's paid for everything. So I yeah. have it... I give it the highest respect. I don't think... You know, I don't think there's anything that I could have done in this. I think I was made to do this. Oh, yeah. You found you know? your spot for yeah, sure. And it's like, you know. And we're so glad you did. Yeah. I mean, my, my you know, I tell my kids all the time, like, you know. Find your bliss. Not only that, but you got to remember, like, the arts paid for your life. Yeah. You know, just respect that. Absolutely. You know, I don't care if you're a mailman. I don't care whatever you want to do in life. As long as you're happy, try to do that. 
Yeah, try to find something that makes you happy and the money will come. Only here for a little bit of time, man. It's so, it's so, Dude, it's such a so blip. I know it's tiny. such a blip on the radar. They're saying that kids that are born now will live to be like 150 years old. And my only comment about that is, do you have to work till you're 125? Yeah. Fuck that. I don't <laughs> want to live that. that long. Yeah, I don't either. I don't want to live I, that I long. I used to tease my mom. My mom is no longer with me, but she would say, I don't want to live to be 100. And I'd say, you do when you're 99. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, well, I want. I just want to close by saying how much I respect you and, and shout out to every band you've ever worked with, anyone that ever gave you a leg up sure. or an opportunity. Same for me. I just feel so, I feel so grateful. I yeah, feel I, so I, grateful. I'm grateful because actually I've, I kind of like, you know, surrounded myself with women who have helped me. Oh, well, good. You, Love Paula, that. Jane. Oh, yeah. Melanie. Oh, yeah. Kit. Rose. Yeah. I mean... And I'm sure I'm missing a few. No, I, I feel blessed. You know, I, uh, people often ask me to be on like, and I am by, I am certainly a champion of women, but I'm an equal champion of men. And so when girls come to me and they go, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a girl engineer. I'm like, no, you're an engineer. Yeah. You know, There's learn no the, learn the craft, you know, take that heart, use your hands, use your ears, do that. Because at the end of the day, and again, I'm not not promoting women. I'm I'm I want to promote everybody. Yeah, yeah. I want to. I don't want to exclude anybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? I would never do that uh, yeah. for for anyone, binary, non-binary, anybody, anybody yeah. who's doing what they love. I'm I'm gonna support you. Yeah. And my advice for anybody is like, give a leg up to somebody who needs it. Yeah. Because pay, pay that that was done for pay me. Pay it forward. That was done for me. Yeah, me too. And. It's like, so I talk to like young engineers now who are like, you know, oh, what do I have to do to get, you know, be, become it's successful? It's still pretty cutthroat. I'm like, it's still the business, you know, it's like, it's not the business is not going to change. It's how you handle yourself. Yeah. You know, and, and how you kind of pr uh, present yourself to people. And it's like, uh, I'm only, I'm only success. I don't know if I should call myself successful, but you were successful. I, I'm only good at what I do from the graciousness of other people who taught me how to do it. Yeah. And then you. You know, I tell the kids that work for me, I'm like, look, you watch people and then you build your own style yeah. by watching what others are doing and you cobble together your unique style, sure. you know, and everybody does that. And I, again, I, I think everybody that works for me here at East West and I think everyone, you, I don't know anyone who's ever said a bad thing about you. And I think it's because well, of that I, humility. I know, though. I know someone who has. Really? We'll talk about that later. Oh yeah, yeah. But but I I think that it's that humility, and I think that you know yeah you got to go in with purpose, and you yeah. got to know what you're doing, and you gotta you gotta have your shit together. Yeah. You know what I mean? You owe it to the people that hired you to be prepared. Yeah. You know, but at the end of the day, you know, you got to be humble. And there's always lace with people who are so good. Oh yeah. But so bad as a person. Yeah, that's not cool. It's like, I, don't I know guys that. who are fucking talented engineers. But they're dicks. They're dicks. <laughs> and. Oh, yeah. Just be cool. That's the that's, that's the moral of this podcast. Just be cool. I mean, after 30 years, yeah. some assistants that I know who got the, 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 the a chance at the brass ring and they're like, well, what happened? And they're like, well, he, he just don't like working with the guy. He's just like a He's curmudgeon. He's just whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. It's like, I, that just doesn't get when people me. are going to be in moods and people yeah. are going to have bad days and stuff like that. Again, be prepared, 
because more often than not, you're going to get that first opportunity like Robert did when Paul Rothschild showed up and said, hey, I have a session in an hour. Yeah. Can you help me with this vocal? Almost everybody that's ever worked for me has gotten the opportunity to first because someone was sick or someone couldn't make it or something else. And you be, be ready to jump. And I have put people in positions when I knew they weren't quite ready, but I knew they cared they enough that up. they'd figure it out. Yeah. yeah All right. So we're, we're going to wrap up and I just wanted to thank Robert again. And one of the things we were both just wanted to put, if there, if there is a message, we wanted to say, you know what, give a leg up to somebody else, be grateful for what you have, support the arts in any way that you can buy product, go to the movies, you know, just remember that people, people's hearts are in this and it comes from such a deep, deep place when, when a creator makes music or film or anything like that. So thanks to everybody that's ever made any music that we've heard and be cool. I love Greasy Will. We love Greasy Will. <laughs> <laughs> he loves you. That's Will Onspock. Yeah, yeah, I love him too. We have a joke that he's going to be taking care of me at the nursing home. They're going to show up with the Verpleet cup. But uh, thank you for listening. Yeah. Again, it's Candace Stewart with Trade Secrets. And my guest today was Robert Frost. God, God bless everybody. And uh, thanks for listening. It's my favorite one so far. It's only the third one I released.